Amen. Please remain standing for the reading of God's word. Our scripture reading this morning comes from 2 Corinthians 1, 12 through 2, 4. Our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God and supremely so toward you. For we are not writing you anything other than what you read and understand. And I hope you will fully understand, just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us just as we boast of you. Because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and then come back to you from Macedonia and have you then send me on my way to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no, at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Sylvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is, it, that is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. But I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you to stand firm in your faith. For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you, for if I caused you pain, who's there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? And I wrote as I did so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. In our passage this morning, Paul is being accused of being vacillating, that he's vacillating between yes and no, that he is fickle, that he's indecisive, he's untrustworthy, maybe even dishonest. These were words that were unbecoming for an apostle, for a founder of the church, for a pastor. They, were, they are words that are unfamiliar to us as we remember Paul. But they are actually words that were quite familiar to me when I was a teenager. I became a Christian when I was 17. I went away with a friend to her church camp. I didn't really know anyone but this friend and I really didn't know much about Jesus either. One night, the pastor talked to us and gave us a message and then sent us out into the woods to have a moment alone with our creator. I don't remember much of what the pastor said, but I do remember weeping in the woods for 30 minutes afterwards because I was swept away by the love of this God who was so much bigger than me. I was also swept away that night by a force of nature that was 
almost as equally captivating to my teenage heart. His name was Tommy Morris. Tommy was a tall, blonde-haired, blue-eyed son of a preacher man. As I fell in love with Jesus that week, I also fell pretty hard for Tommy. And as we went down the mountain, I started processing what these two new relationships were and how they were going to change my life. I was a Jesus follower now, so I couldn't pursue popularity and fitting in in the same ways that I did before, which was going to be hard for me, but I got to do it alongside of this new community, which now included my new boyfriend. About a month went by, and things were going great. But then I started hanging out with friends from school and started hearing about their lives, and their lives seemed much cooler than mine. And so I broke up with Tommy, I broke it off with Jesus, and went on my way. This was round one of me breaking this poor boy's heart. I headed off to my former life, leaving Tommy and Jesus behind. But God wasn't done with me yet. One weekend away from church, and I realized that that way of life was empty, so I gave my life back to the Lord. The Lord received me, the church received me, and somehow I talked Tommy into dating me yet again. (laughs) Just wait. (laughs) About a month went by, and I was in bliss. I didn't know a community or relationship could be like this. We loved God, we loved each other. Things were going great. But soon that siren tune started singing to me again. You'll never be cool by dating a pastor's son. Consequently, I am a pastor and I married a pastor's son. But I thought, church people are not that cool. So I promptly broke it off with Tommy, broke it off with Jesus. This was round two of me dating this poor boy's heart. But God wasn't done with me yet. After about two weeks, um, I had a conversation with the Lord, excuse me, and I realized that Jesus was all about me, and I wanted to be all about him. So I confessed to the Lord, repented, and somehow talked this boy into dating me for a third time. Another month went by. Things were going strong with Tommy, but you guessed it. For some reason, in my teenage mind, it wasn't going to work out, so I broke up with him again. Round three of me, of me breaking this poor boy's heart. I don't know why Jesus and Tommy both didn't just break it off with me completely. I was totally fickle. I could not figure out who I wanted to be, and Tommy got wrapped up in the swirl of my emotions and my identity crisis. After Christmas that year, I went away to another church retreat. And this time, God took over my life in a real way. There was no more hemming and hawing, no more hesitations, no more half in, half out. I was all in. I knew it. And Tommy knew it. Tommy somehow um, consented to dating me yet again for the fourth time. Now, Tommy and I eventually broke up. He broke my heart in the end. But as I reflect, yeah. (laughs) But as I reflect on that relationship, I was brutal with that poor boy's heart. I kept saying to him, no, 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 over and over again. I rejected him not once, not twice, but three times, and he still came back for more. My yeses were even cruel because they just set him up for more no's. I start with that story of rejection because I think that we can all relate to that, right? All of us at some point have heard that no. And it's the context that Paul is writing into in our passage today. 
The Corinthians aren't experiencing unrequited love, but they do feel rejected by Paul, and he feels rejected by them. Both of them feel the sting of no. Paul is being accused in our passage of being undecisive, careless with his words, careless with this, with this community. The church was rejecting Paul and saying no to his spiritual authority in some pretty painful ways. And it's not just one sided. The church felt that Paul was rejecting them as well. Paul addresses their troubled relationship in this section in the book of Corinthians, and it's rather confusing at first glance. I was talking about this passage with a group of pastors earlier this week, and Chris Ramsey noted that it feels like a long, extended, angry Facebook comment, right? Paul is kind of rambling on and on. He's feeling lots of intense emotions. You can tell that something very serious has gone on, but you can't really tell in the text itself what exactly is going on. Now, if this were on Facebook, we could read back through all the, old, all the comments and say, oh, that's where things really went off the handle, right? but we don't have this conversation recorded for all time. So it's a little bit hard, but we can piece together a little bit what's going on through First and Second Corinthians. So what's going on here? Well, Paul has been in, in relationship with the Corinthians for quite a while now. He founded the church, he nurtured it, he encouraged it, and it's still running, but there's some serious problems going on, right? There's this huge divide between rich and poor. There's all of this sexual immorality that's festering and really rotting the community. And now there are these naysayers. Paul calls them super apostles. And they're going around talking badly about Paul. They're saying he's weak. They're saying he's not very appealing as a person. He's not a very good speaker. He won't accept their money, which they think is, is they're skeptical of that. They're questioning his authority, his spiritual authority, his calling as an apostle, and they're rejecting his ministry. Things aren't going well in Corinth, and so Paul knows this, so he wants to visit them twice, once on his way to Macedonia and once on his way back. But something happens in that first visit on his way to Macedonia. Someone stands up in the congregation and publicly humiliates him, which was pretty bad, but the worst part was that no one came to Paul's defense. So there's this huge falling out between him and the congregation, and so he decides not to visit them that second time, which, as you can imagine, didn't turn out so well. So things are really broken with the Corinthian church. They don't trust each other. Paul feels rejected by them. They feel rejected by him. They don't feel like he's prioritizing. He doesn't feel like they're defending him or supporting him. They are living in a world of no. No, Paul, we don't support you and your calling. No, Paul, we won't defend you. No, we don't believe that you're an apostle. And he's just changed his travel plans. He seems to pri be prioritizing other churches, which they experience as a rejection. As I think about the Corinthians, I can't help but see us in this story too. Because rejection is a very common and it's really characteristic of our lives as humans, isn't it? While I was the one doling out the nose to Tommy in high school, I've sure received my fair share. Josh and I didn't get married till we were 32, so I received lots of no's in the romance department. But no is pretty common in our world. No, you didn't get into our university. No, you're not qualified for the job. You know, I just want to be friends. It's not you, it's me. 
Even when we don't want it to sound like rejection, that's what it feels like. No, you can't get the loan for the house. The no's we hear can be more subtle as well. We feel on the outskirts of certain groups because of our political leanings. Our family members make it clear that they don't support our choices, they don't support our lifestyle, and when it comes down to us, they don't really support us. We struggle with anxiety, depression, addiction, and we learn very quickly that there are certain spaces where that is not a safe thing to share. We see who is elevated and who's valued in the world, and it's not people who look like us, not people with our skin tone, with our gender, from our ethnicity. We hear a lot of no's in this world. The Corinthians felt the sting of rejection. Paul felt it too. And so it's in that context that I want you to hear Paul's words to us this morning. But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no but in him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Paul says to the Corinthians, I have always been about the gospel, and the gospel has always been about God saying yes to you in Jesus. Into this context of distrust, into this situation that is filled with no, Paul declares that God gives us a resounding yes in Jesus Christ. Paul writes that all of God's promises are fulfilled. They have their yes in Christ. The Israelites had been waiting for a Messiah to rescue them, to redeem them from the darkness that surrounded them and the darkness that was inside of them. And here with Jesus, God was fulfilling his promise. His promise to establish his kingdom forever, yes, in Jesus His promise that all nations would be blessed through him? Yes, in Jesus. His promise to love us with an everlasting love? Yes, in Jesus. His promise to loose the chains of injustice, to set the captives free? Yes, in Christ. Paul declares to the Corinthians that God has said a resounding yes in Jesus. Church family, like the Corinthian church, our lives as Christians in 2019 are filled with conflict. We see rifts in the church. There's an enormous amount of distrust. We disappoint one another. We are disappointed in one another. Rejection abounds. We hear no at every turn. And yet, into all of that mess, God declares yes in Christ. My question for us this morning is, do you hear it? Do you hear God's resounding yes over you? Not yes to all of your behaviors, not yes to all of our attitudes, all of our ideologies, all of our worldviews. God is still working on us. The Spirit is still refining us. But God says yes to us, renewed and refined by the blood of Jesus. God says yes. Do you hear it? I think some of us can't hear that resounding yes because we are so flooded by this world of no. No, you can't be part of our group. No, you're not good enough. You're not smart enough to be here. We don't 
want you around, when we hear all that no, when we're used to hearing all that no, when we're really swimming and honestly drowning in that world of no, it's hard to hear God say yes. Some of us can't hear this resounding yes because we're flooded by no, but for other, others of us, we can't hear the resounding yes because we're trying to hear all these little yeses from everyone else around us. As you probably picked up from my introductory story, in high school, I was thirsting after popularity. I really wanted to fit in, and as I've grown older, that still shows up in my desire to please the people around me and elicit yes from them. Yes, Annie, you are a great mother. Yes, Annie, you're such a good friend, such a good pastor, such a good spouse. Sometimes I'm listening for these yeses from all the people around me that I can't hear God's resounding yes. Sometimes God's resounding yes is actually drowned out because we're too busy looking for affirmation and yeses from everyone else around us. In a world of no, God has said yes. Do you hear it? Yes, you are loved. Yes, you are forgiven. I have removed your shame. Yes, I am making all things new and it isn't always gonna be like this. Yes, you belong here. Yes, I'm with you in the hard things. God has said a resounding yes in Jesus, but he doesn't stop there. He doubles down on his yes. He reiterates his yes. He guarantees his yes, and he repeats his yes by sending us the Holy Spirit. Listen to the text again. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Paul says that not only does God send us Jesus, but he also sends us the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing his faithfulness, guaranteeing that eternal yes. Paul uses se excuse me, several analogies here to talk about the work of the Spirit. He says that God set his seal of ownership on us, putting his Spirit in our hearts. In Paul's day, a seal was used to mark a document to show who owned it, to show who owned this possession, this document, this letter. You would take molten wax and you would take a signet ring or a seal and you would mark it. And then everyone would know who this thing belongs to. It would also show that this thing, this document, this letter, this possession hadn't been tampered with. Paul says that this is what the Holy Spirit does on our lives. He also says that it's a deposit this is another commercial term that is used much in the same way as it is today. It's a down payment, earnest money, a pledge. God has said yes to us in Jesus. And then he marks us with this seal, confirming that yes through the Holy Spirit. He deposits his spirit inside of us, guaranteeing that we belong to him. <clears throat> This note about the Holy Spirit must have been incredibly powerful for the Corinthians to hear because they must have known that things were not what they should be, that they weren't living the life that God had intended for them. This is the same church that received those iconic words from Paul, from Paul in 1 Corinthians, that love is patient, that love is kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it keeps no record of wrongs. When they looked around them, they must have thought, all we're doing is keeping record of wrongs. 
there's, there's distrust here. There's discouragement here. We're disappointed in each other. This can't be the way that God intends us to live. I think Paul was saying here, you're right. You're not as you should be. You need to grow. You need to change. But even in all of that, God says yes to you in Jesus, and he will remake you in his image. He will convict you and refine you by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is essentially God's guarantee that he is not giving up on us, that he is committed to us for our ongoing refinement. God says yes to us by sending us the Spirit, but not just to me, not just to you, but to us as a community. Look at verse 21 again. Paul says, now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anoints us, set his seal of ownership on us, put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. He's not using individualistic language here. He's not saying you, he's not saying me, he's saying this is about us. Paul is saying here that they are bound together by the Spirit. He's saying that these people who have hurt him, who have abandoned him, who have rejected him, who won't defend him, are also family to him, bound together by the Spirit. The same God who said yes to him said yes to them. So they cannot disentangle themselves from one another. The Spirit has been deposited not just in them as individuals, but as a community. So they are bound for eternity. Church family, Paul is telling the Corinthians in this passage, God has said yes to you in sending Jesus. God has said yes to you in sending the Holy Spirit. This resounding and repeated yes then elicits a response of yes from us. Josh and I like to tell the story of when he proposed to me. Uh, He took me on a private horseback ride up Griffith Park up the mountain, and it was beautiful. It was at sunset, and we got to the top of the mountain, and we got off of our horses, and the observatory is there, and it was a clear, beautiful day at sunset, and it was just exquisite. And then Josh gets down on the ground on his knees, and he proposes to me. He professes his love to me, at which point I become just a blubbering whatever, and um, I am laughing, and I'm crying, and I'm just feeling all of the feelings. He gives me my grandmother's ring, which I then drop on the ground, so we have to find it in the dirt. Um, And we're both just caught up in this beautiful moment, and then Josh pulls me away and says, so you didn't give me an answer. I hadn't said, yes, Josh had given this extravagant invitation, and I needed to respond. Paul says that when we hear this invitation, this yes from God, it demands our response. In verse 20, he says, and so through him, through Jesus, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. We hear God's resounding and repeated yes in Jesus and the Holy Spirit, and it elicits the echo of amen in us. That word amen is a Hebrew alliteration that means surely or truly or yes. Yes, God, I believe you died for me. Yes, Jesus, I want to be in your family. Yes, I want to sign up for whatever you would have for me in this life. We say yes to Jesus. But again, not just as individuals, 
as a community as well. Just as the Holy Spirit is is deposited in us as individuals, but also in us as a community, our amen is supposed to happen individually, but also together as a community. Look at the text again. The amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Our response to God, our amen, was never intended to be one solo voice. We say it alongside of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul's amen was supposed to go alongside of the Corinthians' amen, even in their distrust, even in this state of rejection. Their amen is supposed to be collective and communal. One amen is not enough. God calls us to a chorus of yes. Can you imagine how strange that would have sounded to the Corinthians? Things are not good between them. If I'm in Corinth, I would have expected Paul to say, you know guys, we gave it a good try. We tried our best, but we just can't seem to make this work. And so you do you, and I'm gonna do me, and we will exist kind of in separate spheres. That's not what Paul says. He says we are bound together for eternity. I think often in the church, we are looking for rationalizations to part ways with one another, to just do our solo amen. We think, I don't wanna join my amen with his amen. I actually don't want God to say yes to him or to her. I don't want the Holy Spirit to work on me in my anger or my resentment. I don't want the Holy Spirit to convict me of my self-centeredness, my greed, my need to hoard power. My solo amen is plenty. I'm I'm, I'm good with just one amen. But here, Paul's not letting us do that. He's painting for them a vision of praising God with one voice, with this resounding and repeated yes together. God has given us a yes, and he is calling us to say yes back to him as a community. What does that look like for you this year? For some of us, it's gonna start this morning by us saying yes for the very first time. For some of us in this room, we've never said yes to Jesus. We've never said yes, I wanna follow you. And for some of us this morning, that it's gonna mean saying yes. If that's you, please get baptized next week. We wanna celebrate that with you. For some of us, we need to say yes to Jesus. For some of us, we need to say yes, Holy Spirit, come and work on me. For some of us, saying yes means that we're gonna need to do some repentance, that we're gonna allow Jesus and the Holy Spirit to take a good, hard look at our lives so that we can join that communal amen. For others of us, saying yes to God is just gonna mean diving deeper into community. If you've been kind of staying on the outskirts, not sure if you wanna dive into Lake Avenue Church, if not sure if you wanna make this your home, this your family, this morning say yes. Join your amen alongside of other believers, amen, and let's walk together. If you wanna do that, there's gonna be opportunities to do that in the end at our Pathways Center. Say yes. Finally, some others of us want to need to say yes by serving, by joining our brothers and sisters in Christ, joining our collective amen together, and living out God's mission in the world. And again, you can find opportunities to do that afterwards at the Pathways Center, say yes to whatever God is nudging you towards this morning. And let's say it passionately and urgently, knowing how important this is. 
God has given us a resounding yes, a wholehearted yes, a full-bodied yes. God's yes actually cost him something, right? It cost him death on the cross. It cost him his life on the cross. Our yes is gonna cost us something too. Saying yes to God is probably gonna mean saying no to something else. Yes to serving on Sundays in high school ministry or middle school ministry is gonna mean no to spending our time in some other places. Yes, to giving more financially to the church means no to that daily Starbucks or going out to dinner or whatever other thing we like to spend our money on. Yes to Jesus might mean a real hard no to those addictive patterns and habits that have been consuming us. It might mean that you say no to those voices of pride and defensiveness that come up, that that rise up to the surface whenever the Holy Spirit starts working on you. A yes to Jesus will mean a no to something else. What do we need to say no to this year in order to give a solid, resounding yes to God? When I was 17, I couldn't figure out who I was or who I wanted to be. I kept going back and forth with the Lord. I was in one day, out the other. But in the midst of my unfaithfulness, God was faithful. And Jesus was always giving me his yes. Yes, I died for her. Yes, I want her part of my family. Yes, I want to refine her and hold her and use her. God is saying yes to you. Do you hear it? Will you echo it this morning with your amen? Brothers and sisters, this week, let us shout a resounding and repeated yes to God. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for your yes over us. Thank you for laying your life down and setting us free. Thank you that your yes cost you something. Thank you for this invitation to a new life, to freedom. Lord, you are inviting this morning, us this morning, to say yes. Maybe it's to you for the first time. Maybe it's to your Holy Spirit's work on our lives. Maybe it's into deeper community. Maybe it's to give our lives away in service. The invitation is there. Give us courage this morning to say yes. Open our eyes and our hearts to hear your resounding and repeated yes over us and to echo it back. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.